Graham. Hello, everyone. Will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3? And um, we'll start in Genesis, but we won't go all the way through to Revelations. I wanted to talk today about friendship. And um, I was reminded uh, last night, a comment somebody made at the at uh, the young people's night that um, which I managed to squeeze into Ryan even though I'm an old person um, uh, <laughs> there was a few of us there and um, yeah, just a, I don't know if I quite got the comment right from last night but the one I remember that was similar uh, that a, um, uh, a brother said once he said um, um, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are um, and I guess that, uh, well, I'd like to think that I'm friends with everybody who wants to walk in the Lord. I hope that's how others here feel today. All the people said? So we've got a lot of friends. And um, we come together here to um, spend time with each other and to, uh, to help each other in our uh, walk through life and um, helping each other to reach the goal that we want to reach at the end, which is to make sure that we make it with the Lord and that like Trudy, who's passed away, that we just heard about, that that we too will, uh, when we go, that um, we'll be looking forward to something beyond because we have, we have held our walk in the Lord together until that last day. Um, Let's just have a look at a, a couple of little things that um, maybe don't help, first of all, about friendship, and then we'll go into some things that do. So Genesis 3, in the garden, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband and uh, with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made them aprons. And um, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now they had a very good friendship going with God and with each other. But we find that somebody comes along who is actually a bad uh, influence on them and not a friend at all but makes himself out to be one. And in no time at all he has persuaded them to look at something that was no good for them. And yet before them was a garden that was filled with all the goodness that God had in store 
I don't know what the other trees might have been called, but if we took it in a spiritual sense that God was looking to make sure of his relationship with them, that maybe if you talked of the fruits of the Spirit and said, well, they were the other trees, love, joy, peace, you know, etc., long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, I'm not sure if I've got them all, but if if that's what they had available to them, but then there's this other tree which the Lord says, don't go near that one, that's not going to do you any good. I'm being a friend to you and I'm advising you. But they get drawn by this uh, seductive nature uh, of the, the devil's comments and and in they go and they take hold of something that actually does them no good. But first of all, it looks like it will do them some good. And they're drawn to it, you know, to, to say, well, what is there? But the immediate effect we see after that they take it is that it says uh, in verse 7, the eyes of them, uh, of them both were open and they knew they were naked. And all of a sudden they feel guilty, they feel uncovered, they feel feelings that they'd never felt before. And, and something had changed and, and unfortunately they had come to know evil and the dangers of evil that can look good but really bite hard. And um, I wanted to perhaps use a little example of something because um, I just think it's a very real modern example to us. And it's the, the modern era that we're in that has a lot to do with screens of all sorts. Now, I don't want to sort of... Um, say that that is the devil, but I, I just want to use it as an example of how the devil comes at us and how the world comes at us. And and to be honest, while most of us have to use these phones, which is one form of screen, um, I hate a lot of things about it, and because it's not a good friend. Um, and I just sort of. Uh, had more people comment along these lines recently and started to take a bit of interest in it myself, the comment of does um, do, do screens somehow or other enhance depression and anxiety? Uh, does gaming, which is available uh, on screens, does it enhance um, these things? Does social media, all of the conversations that go back and forth, does it somehow or other enhance depression, anxiety and so on? And while nobody's fully proved it yet, um, it seems that the surveys that are being done on it are saying that there is a pretty strong link. And so that now that even though not all gamers, for example, become uh, depressed, there is a higher percentage of people who are depressed that are gamers. Um, that, uh, in fact, I remember one, and, and it gets into the church. Um, I remember one chap who was coming along some years ago and he was stuck on his games. And I said to him, how does it affect you? He said, I get up in the morning late and I just go across to my computer. That's how it affected him. So he had no job and... Um, no energy, and these are the sort of things that happen. You become irritable, apparently, or you can, with it. Um, and so 
um, finding a job wasn't sort of high on his agenda. Um, and it can also mean sometimes that people who are really taken with it find themselves up late at night and, uh, um, and I don't know if it's more with men with games, but maybe their wife is in bed and they just staying up and so it affects their sleep patterns and, and so on. Um, and it, it's a new form of addiction because there have always been addictions. I remember one brother, John Redford, his testimony was that he used to spend uh, a lot of the night um, uh, betting, you know, on, or you know, planning sorts of things he, he could bet on, and, and he would do it all night long. And he'd get to work as tired as all out. Uh, and he had a sister that was witnessing to him, and it took him years to listen. But he he had this addiction; it was messing up his own life, and it was a previous form of addiction, but now there's new ones that come uh, our way. With uh, social media, it seems that uh, the studies are saying that the, the health, the mental health of children and teenagers in particular um, is being affected. Um, I, I sort of hadn't thought about this a lot, but there's a mention that I uh, read there that uh, smartphones hadn't really come on the scene until two, the, 2007, it's only 12 years ago, and uh, it's not a long time. But a few statistics that I was reading, um, because people have seen the increase in major depression, and I think this was an American survey, that um, looking at different age groups, so 12 to 17 years old, between 2005 and 2017, major depression has gone up 52%. Uh, that between 18 and 25 years old, uh, from 2009, a little later, to 2017, it's gone up 63%. And that contem people contemplating suicide in these age brackets have gone up 71%. So can you hook that to the phone? I don't know. Um, I mean, we heard from Ryan before about his family circumstances, and I'm sure that was um, because he's such an old fella. It's, uh, it was well before mobile phones. Um, so those things have always been around in one form or other from maybe um, bad behaviour in homes, uh, abuse and so on, where people haven't uh, really been able to make a, a, a safe and comfortable home. Um, but I think that one of the things that probably is a good gauge in our modern era is that if we are to ask teachers and doctors and psychiatrists counsellors and parents about how they have to deal with this, I'm sure that they are all seeing that the screens are dominating people's thinking and that it is um, hurting people in, in various ways. And that perhaps that people haven't really discovered rules of, uh, of use, that there are certain things that are important, how long the tools are used, what they are used for, what they shouldn't be used for, and and so on. And it has sort of crept into our society that so much so that you just find quite unusually, like I, we were um, at a shopping centre yesterday, um, and, um, and and this is just normal life now, but we, we had a group of people singing and a group of people walking around talking, and you've got to interrupt people who are sitting on their phones. And, and somehow, and they look as lonely as all out. And in fact, when you talk to them, they are. But they're convinced that while they've got 
contact on here that they've got friendship and that they've actually got real connections. But some of them are there bawling their eyes out in, in, in this center and not knowing what to do with themselves because they have got very real problems and those problems are, are not really being met. And, and so we see here, if we just go back to the story of the Garden of Eden, that when um, the knowledge of all things is sort of let in, and that's what happens now is through our screens, that now there are behaviours and conversations that come into our lives that would never have come into our lives before. It's just there at the push of a button. And good people are getting caught. And that's the sad part of it all, is that this is not just people who are hunting for it, but good people, you know, and, and I'm sure here, you know, amongst us, that we all get things, and I know I do it, you, you get things put in front of you that you don't want to see. And it, and it wants to tap on your heart and pull you in. And it's designed, and we hear it from the designers of these things, that they are designing to get us addicted. That is their aim. They've got their specialists on it to make sure that the things that come in front of us will lead to something, will lead to something, will eventually get you. And they are designed for children. You know, if you're having trouble with your mobile phone or your computer, who do you go to? Your children or your grandchildren. Because they're designed for them to be able to get in quickly and easily. And so to hook them from a young age. And, and it's working. And, and it, it, it's got a, it's, it's letting the world in in so many ways. And once it touches us, like we see here with Adam and Eve, all of a sudden you feel, oh, how do I get that rottenness out of my head? How do I, how do I make that go away? Let's go to the book of, um, Samuel. Won't stay on this depressing stuff, but I've got one more bit. Second Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah um, but David tarried still at Jerusalem and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And the rest of the story, uh, verse 4, it tells that he, he sends messages, takes her, and he sleeps with her, another man's wife. He then goes and does even worse. He arranges for her husband, to be put in the heat of the battle so that he might be killed. And it's a, it's a terrible time of David's life. And, and there's a couple of things I think that are, are fairly prominent at the beginning of the story. And it's, it tells us in verse one, it gives us a little bit of a clue here. And it says, at the time when kings go forth to battle, and it's when David should have been serving the Lord. When he should have been in the forefront of battle, of what God wanted him to do, and he decided he needed a rest. He stayed home by himself, and while he's there staying home by himself, he's lying on his bed having a bit of a rest, and he gets up 
and uh, and he looks out of his window, and and temptation was there waiting for him while he had, in a sense, put his ar- his armor down. It was there waiting for him, and unfortunately, um, it came in the form of a of a woman who probably wasn't all that clever herself. Um, she'd put herself into a position where she was going to be viewed where she shouldn't have been in a position to be able to be viewed. And and so the two, for whatever reason, um, uh, that what was going on in their heart, they they allowed uh, the flesh, you know, human nature, the temptation of the world, they allowed it to get them. And and it bit. And it really bit them badly. And And chapter after chapter from here on is a result of the mistake that they made and the pain that it wrought in their life. And and you sort of think, David's friends were out to battle. And his people needed him that way, but he ended up making a wrong friendship. And that friendship nearly wrecked him. Fortunately for David, he was able to repent. And he, he really sort of threw himself before the Lord and said, Lord, help me out of this. Help me out of this. I don't, I don't want to make a mess of my life. And he, he, he got himself right before the Lord and was able to, um, to reinstate his position with the Lord, which of course is a, a wonderful story of, of the scriptures. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. New Testament. Really good place to be. We all love the New Testament. Um, so we find a woman who comes to Jesus in verse um, 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would, that Jesus would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. So there's a lady here with a reputation and life has gone bad for her. For whatever reason, it doesn't give us the reason but she's got a reputation. And she, on this occasion, has decided that to change her reputation and to change her life, that she's going to come to the one that looks like he's given her a window of opportunity. And she decides to walk away from whatever it was and come to be at the feet of Jesus and bring him the best offering that she could bring. And part of that was what she brought in the alabaster box of ointment, which must have been a valuable thing to her. But the other part of it was that she brought her heart to him. And and so she came and she showed her commitment to him, her understanding of what he had come to do, her willingness to follow him. And she does that in in with no shame here at all. She just... She gives her absolute all uh, in this circumstance. And the Pharisee who sits there in his judgment 
And she would have been used to people judging her. But this time when he judged her and he's in his thoughts thinking, who is this woman? Jesus is going to protect her. And I think this must be a new experience for her. And it's a, it's a great story of a person who has been um, damaged in whatever way and now for the first time she's not going to be judged, she's actually going to be protected. And, and that, of course, is the message of the New Testament, which brings so many of us in, is that here's our chance to actually have the slate wiped clean of what we have done and to have a brand new start as though we had never done any wrong. That is, that is what the Lord wants to do for us. And so we read on here in verse 40, and Jesus answering him uh, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he saith, Master, say on. And, uh, uh, actually, for the sake of time, I won't go through all of it. Verse um, 43. Simon answered, and, and no, verse 44, sorry, I don't want to go through the little parable. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also. And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now this is a, this is an incredible act. You know, it, it goes against what the community probably would have thought. And, and certainly the Pharisee, what he thought. That here's this person that has, has done a lot of wrong and she deserves to wear it a bit. She deserves uh, uh, to be shunned a bit. But Jesus doesn't go about it that way. And he does the complete opposite of what people would have thought. And he sees the faith that she comes with. He sees the love that she comes with. And, and so he responds according to that faith and said, your sins are forgiven. And that's, that's, it just used to rile the Pharisees. Because they were used to sort of sitting there in judgment and finding fault, and uh, putting crosses against people's names and so on, and they were the ones who were perfect and, and had no fault within them. And But Jesus was far more understanding of the heart of an individual and what they really wanted in their life. We heard, again, I keep coming back to Ryan's testimony, but that his circumstances were that, you know, even at a young age, he was looking for something better than what he had. And Franca too, in her testimony, that the things that she grew up with and the religion she grew up with was not answering what she needed answered. And, and so we get drawn by faith to the best friend we can ever have, Jesus Christ. So let's also now just go to chapter 8 and have a little look here. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. 
And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. What a jolly little group. We've got somebody here who's had devils cast out of them. We've got Herod's steward's uh, wife, who's sort of in the upper classes of society. And um, Susanna we don't hear much about. But the Lord has sort of pulled them all together because they've got something in common. And it's not about their check your, your pedigree list or how well you've behaved, but they all love the Lord. And they all want the Lord to be their friend. And so they unusually become friends together. And the society must have wondered when they saw... Um, Joanna walking with Mary Magdalene. They must have wondered, what are you doing hanging around with her? Maybe vice versa. What are you doing hanging around with those sorts of people? But somehow or other, this friendship is is the one that is really going to see them through more than any other friendship that they might have had. And, and often, um, I guess that what uh, is important for us is that when we come to the Lord is to see that same opportunity for other people. And um, I had a little reminder just recently uh, of something like this because we had a, a lady who um, we met that wanted to come along uh, to our meetings and, and her life uh, has been wild. And um, I read... Um, some information that she gave me um, about things that have happened to her in her life. And um, and she came along to a couple of meetings and I, I just wondered whether um, her determination to fight um, those who had been involved in, in a miscarriage of justice might uh, consume her too much and then consume us. And um, anyway, so we didn't sort of encourage her to keep coming. It just, it just all seemed to be, um, you know, a different direction. But I got thinking about it afterwards, and I, I thought, I'm not really doing the right thing here. And um, had a bit of prayer about it, and I went back with um, a couple of sisters and a brother to see her again, and uh, she couldn't believe we turned up, and. Um, you know, it's a pretty struggling house. And um, anyway, the end result of it was that she wanted to know why we came back. And she was sort of just really overcome by um, the chance to come and have a, a new start at life. And I guess I was um, I was thinking that in some ways I... I got my eye a little bit too much on the product of what she was rather than the desire of where she wanted to get to. And um, and so when I went back, I thought, no, I've got to help her to fulfil, you know, it's our role in the Lord, to fulfil the desire of where she wants to get to. And um, And I hope it works out for her, you know, that that's... It, you know, that her life is going to change, you know, in a big, big way. 
remember uh, Pastor Godfrey telling a story not long ago where he was in a, a village in, uh, I think, in Fiji, and there was a lady there who um, something terrible was wrong in her life, whether she was devil-possessed, I'm not sure exactly what it was. Um, he didn't know exactly what it was, but she was a mess. And um, different people had tried to help her, encourage her. And as is Pastor Godfrey's style, he went to her and he just said, God loves you. You know that Jesus died for you. You know that Jesus wants to give you a new chance. And he just kept on going. And eventually she just stopped. And she wanted to know what she had to do. Everything just settled down. She just stopped. And um, the world doesn't know anymore what the love of God is. And, you know, we uh, we used to sing a song. Well, some people used to sing a song. Uh, what the world needs now is love. Some of the grey heads remember that. Yeah. I've, I've got a printout of it here. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of the time. End of time. And so it goes on. Um, there's a lot of nice things you can pursue in life. But that sentiment, written in 1965, was an accurate sentiment of the time. And it's still an accurate sentiment. Is that the world is trying to find love in all the wrong places. And it's trying to find friendship in all the wrong places. And it, and it's destroying people. And we are seeing people now, we reckon we were messed up in the 60s and 70s. We were in short pants compared to messed up today. It is really so deep and dark that sometimes you think, can we possibly help this person? As was my experience of the story I just told. And yet we know that the testimonies that we have here are the foundation of that God, with God all things are possible. There is no need for us to ever think this story cannot be changed for the better. There is no need for us to ever consider that as long as there is a heart willing to call out to God. Now people talk about unconditional love. Um, I'm not sure if that's quite the right term with God because there are conditions. I think maybe the biggest condition is, are you going to call out to him? Because everything else he will forgive. But if we stop calling out to him, that's one condition that he can't do anything about because he's not going to force us. Maybe unfailing love might be a better term. Is that whenever we're ready to call him and he hasn't heard from our phone number for a while, he'll still be there. Unfailing love. Maybe not unconditional love, but unfailing love. Always there, willing to be a friend, like a friend would be, that would see through good times uh, and bad times. Uh, let's go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and in verse um, 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. 
and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, it's not unusual. I won't sing that Tom Jones song. I don't know why that came into my mind. <laughs> um, it's not unusual to find religion and money uh, operating as best friends, is it? And um, I've just got a little thing here of somebody's survey of a well-known um, modern church. Have you ever been to a church where the Jesus music is so loud that some p- people, young, hip, urbanites, all, wear earplugs, where the Christian pop rock stirs people into such rapture that they jump up and down, both feet leaving the earth, both hands ra- raised as ecstatically skyward, as if in a mild-mannered mosh pit, where half the pastors, band members and congregants have nose piercings and the other half have have forearm tattoos and a teeny tiny beanie um, is the accessory of the day. When you picture a house of worship, does a concert venue come to mind, a nightclub? (laughs) What about the converted warehouse that's only hours removed from hosting a rave, um, and etc. it goes on. But it's there is a new breed now of religion that has brought the world in with total acceptance and and somehow or other we're missing out because we're not doing it and i've got a feeling that you know when we sing our choruses a little later here that we probably won't want to be doing a mosh pit um, we probably won't want to be jumping around the place hugging each other. It is a style that is done in some places and uh, they raise their emotions and um, and then they come away from it and has their life changed. And too often we hear that unfortunately the lives aren't changed, that the the sin which is so deceitful to us as well the sin which is so deceitful is convincing them that it's okay to take hold of those things and it won't actually hurt you. But in actual fact, it does. It does hurt. And and so as they start to take in a little bit of the tattoos and the nose piercings, they think, oh, well, it's uh, Jesus doesn't mind. But they're actually taking a bit of the world. And they take that bit and they'll take a bit more. And eventually there's very little about what is really in the Scriptures, about what the Word of God says to change people's lives. And so it becomes, in a way, appealing to those who have a bit, those who can bring their visa card. It becomes more appealing to those who perhaps live a little better. But here, when we see that the money changers are thrown out of the temple... In come the blind and the lame and the poor. In they come. And I think that Jesus today, if he was to walk in to some of these churches to do that, he would do the same thing. He'd say, out with it. Knock it off. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is where the poor and the lame and the blind are supposed to come and feel welcome. They're supposed to feel that that God will heal them, God will change them. There's no sort of class differences here. 
and that he will do amazing works in their life. Let's go to Acts chapter 16 and we'll pick it up in verse 22 when Paul and Silas are about to be thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. Verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptised, he and all his, straight away. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God when uh, with all his house. A couple of little points out of this. At the beginning we read, um, and I hadn't always noticed this, but in verse 22 it says they laid many stripes on them sometimes just pictured the fact that they were in jail and that they were just putting up with being in jail and, you know, just singing away. But these guys have been whipped. So they're not in the healthiest state, but they're singing away regardless. And then when the Lord starts to do a work here because of this really good friendship of Paul and Silas who love serving the Lord together, and we find that the jailer is drawn to this, with whatever his background is and the troubles in his life. And we see him get so totally affected by their faith and their testimony and what has gone on. And then he takes them into his, his, his own house, um, we find there, um, or perhaps we thought on the, yep, and, and, and he washes their stripes. Not too many jailers would have ever done that. So something has happened to this guy and he's now made a new allegiance. His allegiance is maybe not quite so much with the soldiers, although maybe that stayed his job, but his heart is now with the people of the Lord. And he, he this night he gets baptised. I'm sure he received the Holy Spirit, as the Bible tells us that we must. And, and all of a sudden he's become very hospitable. He's got his home open. Come into my home. Be my friend. And what a, what a difference one night, one hour has made to this man's life that maybe for all of the, the desire that Paul had to go to this region and he, he felt the Lord was telling him to go to this region, little did he know that the only way he was going to save a jailer was he was going to have to get put in jail first. But that's where the Lord started his revival, said, just follow me. I've got this planned. I've got it covered. And so they end up in there. And... I suppose that, you know, just for ourselves, that this is the best place for us to be. We read about King David. He slowed down on serving the Lord. But here's a couple of men that didn't want to slow down. 
And so no matter what uh, was in store for them, they they took it on and that's where the blessing of the Lord was. And we know that that's the case for us is that we are living in a world now where there are lots of the woman who came to Jesus, there are lots of jailers, there are lots of people who as yet um, haven't come to know the Lord and they need our friendship. They need the Lord's friendship. Now, you can't force them to be friends, but if they want to know the truth, they will become our friends. And so I believe we are encouraged to open up our homes and to to allow people to come in. I was reminded just recently of of some of our saints who are immigrants who have no network in Australia at all. They've left all their family behind and they come to Australia and they've got to make a new start. So they don't know up from down how to get a car licence, how to get a car, how to get a house, where to get food, where to do this, where to do that. And and often are looking for some direction and all those sort of things. But then when they come to the Lord as well, it's not like you know straight away that they have anybody else much than us. And so the the meetings become very very important to them, and um, and as many of us have found, one Sunday meeting will not make a network. You know that if uh, and and I'm sure there are some here today who at the moment all you're coming to is just one Sunday meeting. That's what you do for the week. But we encourage you to meet your friends to spend time with your friends. Because if you're not spending time here, you'll be spending time elsewhere that won't actually build up your faith. It'll test your faith time and time again. But when you come back to your friends and and you're hearing their good conversation in the Lord, it'll lift you up. And you'll you'll find then that staying for the second on Sunday or coming to the midweek meeting or the house meeting, you'll be going, I love this. This does me good. And then when I go out into the world, they can't hit me so easy because I've been built up in things. When the devil comes along whispering and wants to get at me through this or that or the other, um, you know, whether that's through, um, you know, my family, whether that's through my neighbors, whether that's through my school friends, that they won't get me because I know Jesus Christ is my number one friend. And everybody else that's friends with him is my friend as well. And and what a great position we have when we do that. And we'll find ourselves then that knowing what's going on in the world on our screens will be far less important. What this movie star is doing or what that sports star is doing or what everybody is doing or even, you know, having to share on Facebook all of natural things between each other. You know, I'm sure there's there's a place for us sharing some things with each other with certain individuals, but I just find it so unusual that, and I'm sure we all do, whenever you, you, you have a, a time to look on social media and find just all the trivial things that are sort of sent to hundreds or thousands of people. And... and Surely the Lord has lifted us above that. That he's not asking us to know each other in the flesh. In fact, if we know each other in the flesh, we will rub each other up the wrong way. 
if we know too much about each other in the flesh. And when we start sending posts out of, look at me doing this, does it actually build up others or do some get offended by it? Do some feel, oh, I don't have that, you know, in my life. Do I now feel less because I don't have what that person has? Is, is our bond together meant to be more spiritual? Because that's what keeps us strong, is the, the, the spiritual bonds, um, the time together where we, we pray together. We talk of our victories together. We talk of our troubles together. We, 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 we get through things. And I mean, there's a modern, again, modern generation, and I'm sure there's good in, in these things as well, but I find it so difficult nowadays that you try to ring people and they own, it's, it's all according to the law of text. And you ring and they don't pick up. And you have to text and introduce yourself before you get a chance to actually make a phone call. And, 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 and sometimes it becomes the whole habit is just texting. Um, I don't know, I seem to remember hearing that uh, the baby in the womb is affected by the voice of the mother. Is that, is that a truism? I'm not sure. But a voice makes a big difference. The, the whole expression, you know, when we're face to face. And, and there are things that, are, that sort of society is trying to drag us into. And God's trying to take us another way. And, and let's make sure that his unfailing love towards us is still what we want to share face to face with other people as often as we can. I've run out of time, but, you know, the Bible says that the disciples went forth preaching the gospel. You know, they went out. They got out amongst them. Let's do it. All the people said.